We're beginning our actual study now of uh, 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel 1, reminder that this uh, account starts to take place right after the events of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, yet in the Jewish writings, 1 and 2 Samuel were one book, so this is kind of a continuation of the story. This is not meant to be a, a break like some of the other books when we've gone from Joshua to Judges or from Judges to being in 1 Samuel where there's a, kind of a different narrative or different storyline. This is a continuation of the story. So we're not, even though we look at it or we're in another book of the Bible, we're really kind of in the same book and continue to talk about the story of David and his life and how God's using him. So uh, we'll continue on and see what David does here. And um, uh, this week is going to talk about David's response to the death of Saul. Um, so we will go ahead and begin with that. Let's uh, open in prayer. Um, I'm going to ask Josiah, will you open us in prayer? So as introduction, again, uh, picking up uh, at the death of Saul, let's look at what we'd like to read this morning. Lemuel, we missed you last week in your raised hand. David receives news of Saul's death here. Now, why does David need to receive news of Saul's death? Yeah, David wasn't in the the camp of the army of Israel. He wasn't fighting this battle. He was somewhere else at the time. Um, In fact, he was, remember, he was living with the Philistines for quite a while. And the Philistines were actually the ones who attacked the nation of Israel at this point. And remember, there, David was planning on going and fighting Israel. And the king of the Philistines was all for this, but his lords were uh, less than enthusiastic about having a Hebrew and his men coming along to fight with them. They were afraid that David was going to betray them and having uh, Hebrews on both sides of the battle is a bad idea. So if you have a Hebrew's that you're fighting in front of you, and then you've got a Hebrew force behind you, uh, that's bad battle tactics. So they said, send David away. So David was sent away, and we're going to discuss where he was in a second because it's part of this passage here, so I'm not going to go too much further. But David wasn't with the army of Israel, so he doesn't know about this. And Saul's death, remember, just happened. So the time frame here is after David returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. Now, why, why was he slaughtering Amalekites? Yeah, they, uh, while David was going to fight with the Philistines, the Amalekites came to their city and kidnapped their, their family and their, their, their goods. And remember, David had to go and rescue them. 
And if you remember the story, David uh, went to God and said, do I go after them? And God said, go get them. And so David goes after the Amalekites and catches up to them and wipes them out, basically, gets all the stuff back. And remember, we have the story of the men who uh, were too weary to go along for the battle. So David says, stay back here and guard our stuff. And when the battle was over, the men who fought said, we don't want to share the spoils with these guys because they didn't fight. And David said, no, these guys played an important part. Maybe they didn't fight, but they guarded our stuff while we were fighting. And so they get to, they get to participate in this. It's, it's not just the people who fight. It's the people who do these other duties also. And so David was willing to share with them. Um, and this happened in 1 Samuel 30. I just have it in a reference. We're not going to look back there, but that's where David was. So David had rescued their families, and this was on the third day after this. So this was shortly after they had just rescued their families, and this guy shows up at camp. This man arrives. And he is what? what what's his nationality? No, no? Yeah, he is, he's from Saul's camp, but he's what? He's an Amalekite. Well, who did David just wipe out? The group of Amalekites. So what... Why is this guy still alive? Well, he's a different group of Amalekites, right? He's, he was serving in Saul's army. So he's from Saul's camp, so he was serving in Saul's army. Now, what was he doing serving in Saul's army? Well, he was there because of Saul's disobedience. What was Saul supposed to do? And when was he supposed to do that? Yeah, really early on in his kingship, Saul was supposed to destroy the Amalekites, and Saul failed to do that. Now, I want to look at a couple of passages here. Exodus 17, would somebody be willing to turn there and read that? Okay, go ahead, Miriam. And then somebody in 1 Samuel 15. Who would like to do that? Gabriel. So when you get there, 17 verses 14 through 16. Now, I want you to, you have the passage open. I don't know if anybody else is there, but what does it say in verse 14? What is the Lord going to do with the Amalekites? Out of remembrance. What does that mean? Give me an. Uh, they. I can't even spell it. They've gone forever. Thanks, Ted. The Lord's going to destroy them forever, right? Okay, what does it say in 16? Okay, so if... How can you have war with them from generation to generation? Yeah, I think God's intent. God's intention was that the Amalekites were going to be gone forever. That was what Saul was supposed to do in the end of Samuel. Saul failed to do that, so because he failed, what actually happens is verse 16, that they just kind of hang around and cause Israel problems from generation to generation. So, so anyway, 
That, so that's why we have an Amalekite in Saul's camp, because he hung around and he kind of got in with Saul. And Saul became the godly individual that he is. Um, he's taking soldiers from whoever he can get. There's no Amalekite to serve in his army. So, Amalekite. Sir Samuel 15.3. So that's the charge that God gave to Saul, that he was supposed to wipe out. I mean, and you look at that, it's man, woman, child, nursing, infant. That's everybody, right? They're, they're, God was going to eliminate all of them because of their sin. And Saul failed to do that. So that's why we have this Amalekite hanging around here. And even so much that he's actually now on Israel's side. So kind of turn around from what God intended. So David gets this, this Amalekite. And when he gets tears his clothes, and puts dust on his head. Has anybody ever done that before? You ever tear your clothes and throw dust on your head? Not intentionally. Not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David did this intentionally. Anybody intentionally do that in their life? Now, this is, this is uh, one of those ancient Middle Eastern things. This is a sign of deep mourning, of deep grief on David's part. So David hears this news, and he's in deep grief. Um, so... Um, so this man, David asked these questions. So he asked the question, where did you come from? The answer, I came from the camp of Israel. And how did the matter go? How did what matter go? Well, David knows about the battle. He was supposed to be on the Philistine side. So he knows there was a battle. How did the matter go? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the man gives three answers. The people fled. We've had that before where Israel fled from their enemies. Second answer, many are dead. And Saul and Jonathan are dead. All three truthful answers of what happened in the battle. So this guy so far has given some very truthful answers to David. And these are not good answers for David to hear. So David receives news of Saul's death at this point. Let's read on. Verses 5 through 10. Who would like to be here next year? Jonathan, go ahead. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? The young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. He said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I brought them here to my Lord. So David here seeks some further information. Now maybe David's not sure that Saul and Jonathan are actually dead. You know, he wants to verify. But he asked a question. How do you know that Saul and Jonathan are dead? Fair question to ask, right? So a man comes up with an elaborate lie. That's the best lie, right? The more details, the better, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so he, comes, he came upon, the lie is he came upon Saul. Well, this is actually probably true. He probably did come upon Saul at some point in time, and the reason why I believe he actually did come upon Saul is because 
because Saul did die, and he had his crown and bracelet, so he had to come upon Saul, but he may have come upon Saul after Saul was dead and just happened to grab the crown and the bracelet from Saul. So he came upon Saul. Now here's where the lies start happening. He was leaning on his spear, and he was being pursued. And so Saul called out to him. Never happened. Um, and so he answered Saul. And Saul asked him who he was, and he answered him. And then Saul asked this man to kill him. And Saul gives the reason that he is in anguish. He, he is, in a, you know, maybe the idea that, you know, he's in, in great pain, he's, he's dying, he's, he's injured badly, uh, he's in anguish, but his life is still in him. He's not quite dead yet. Um, so Saul asked the man to kill him, and the man kills Saul, and his answer, my paraphrase here is, he was going to die anyway. I knew that his life, uh, I knew that he was, uh, um, I knew that he could not live after he had fallen, that, that he was going to die anyway, so I killed him. And then the man took his crown and bracelet and brought him to David. Now, why would the man come to David with this story? Why would he make this up, come to David and say, I killed Saul and brought this stuff to you with this news? Okay, he wants credit, right? He, he wants to be the guy who killed Saul and delivered the kingdom into David's hand, right? I, I, I vanquished the evil saw and brought the kingdom and made David king, and David's going to give me a promotion and a place in his court, and I'm going to be, like, here, David's going to introduce me, and here's the guy who brought me the kingdom. You know, he's looking, he's looking for recognition, he's looking for fame, he's looking for whatever reward for this. Whatever reason, he thinks, in David's eyes, this is going to get him a, well done, my good and faithful servant, you slayed the bad guy and brought me the kingdom. He does not know David too well. And he's been in Saul's camp, and he's seen how Saul's act. And this is probably, Saul probably would have done that if it was the opposite way around. You know, I killed David, here's his, here's his uh, sword and his bracelet and stuff, and David's dead. And Saul probably would have done that. Saul would probably, oh, you are the best. You saved my kingdom. I'm going to make you a general of my army. I'm going to let you marry one of my daughters. You, you, you did it. You're the best. Saul probably would have responded that way. David does not. But let's look at the story, just make sure that we know that this guy's lying. Psalm or first Samuel thirty one, four through five. Who wants to read? Josiah, go ahead. And Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So we see, first of all, the problems with the, the, this guy's story is, number one, he didn't kill Saul. Saul killed himself. Number two, Saul never said anything about being in anguish. Saul's concern was that uncircumcised men were going to kill him. And he didn't want that. Number three, Saul didn't ask the Amalekite to kill him. Saul asked his armor bearer to kill him. Number four, Saul's armor bearer actually refused because he was afraid to do it. So so we know that this guy is making up this story and has an ulterior motive in doing this, thinking that David's going to appreciate this and David's going to reward him. And maybe he saw some of what happened, that he knew what actually did happen. Um, or maybe he just stumbled upon the body afterwards. We don't know exactly when he came about this, but he, he makes up this elaborate story to get David's approval and to get recognition from David that he was the guy who delivered the kingdom into David's hand. So... Verses 11 and 12. Next reader. Jana. Therefore David 
So David mourns for Saul and Jonathan. This to me is very interesting because David mourning for Jonathan makes like perfect sense, right? Saul caused David a lot of grief. Saul caused David a lot of problems. Saul kept David from his family, from his home, uh, drove him to his enemies. I mean, Saul, Saul was hard on David and caused David to have a very hard life for probably 18 to 22 years. And here, David hears news of Saul dying, and he mourns for Saul. Um, and here it says, David tore his clothes. Again, the second time we see this, this is a sign of deep distress and mourning. I mean, he, he's, he's serious about this mourning. He's upset by this. And his men followed suit. They tore their clothes also, and they mourned until evening. So I'm guessing that this is something that happened in the morning here. Um, and they wept and fasted. They wept and fasted for Saul and Jonathan, and they wept and fasted for the people who died. So, so this was not, you know, this Malachi comes in and says, look, I brought David to the kingdom. He's going to be happy. David was not happy at all. David was in deep distress. He was in deep grief. He was in deep mourning for what had happened. This is not what David wanted to hear. And David was not excited that Saul was dead. He was not excited that Jonathan was dead. He was not excited that so many people had died in this war with the Philistines. And you see a little bit of what David's heart is. His, his heart is not for his own advancement. His heart is not for what he can get out of the situation. His heart is for God's people and for what's best for them. So David warns for Saul and Jonathan. Let's move on because uh, it gets interesting here. This is my favorite part of this uh, Story, I think, uh, verses 13 through 16. Who wants to read? Abigail. I can just see this guy, you know, David calls him near and Who are you? Where are you from? Oh, I'm I'm the son of a foreigner, an Amalekite. And he's thinking, I'm getting my reward now. And then David goes, How were you not afraid to raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? Can you see this guy's face just dropping at this point? Like, uh oh. This is not what I was expecting to hear from David. Uh, you know, he he's he's all of a sudden maybe going from being very ecstatic about like David's going to recognize me now. Now I'm getting my reward. To this is not going to end well. So David here questions where the man is from. He's the son of an alien. He's an Amalekite, and David confronts the man. How was he not afraid? And again, this is consistent with David. Remember, David had Saul twice in a position where he could have murdered Saul where he could have slain Saul and he could have had the kingship for himself. And both times he did not do it. In fact, both times his men were, were uh, pushing for him to do it. And they were giving like what they thought were very spiritual arguments. You know, God's put you in this position. He's given you this circumstance. 
and put you in this position so that he can give you the throne. It's, it's God allowing this to happen so you can become king. Kill Saul and become the king like God wants you to. Sounds like great arguments. The door is open. Do it. God's giving you the open door to be the king. And David says, no. He's the anointed of the Lord. I'm not going to raise my hand against him. And David was a man who held on to his principle. And here, this, this Amalekite was not afraid to lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. And David, I think David just cannot believe, like, how are you not afraid? Don't you know what the consequences are? This is the, the anointed of the Lord. This is the man God picked out to be king, and you went and killed him. How could you even think of doing that? David, does, David just doesn't understand that. How is he not afraid? You raised your hand against the Lord's anointed. It's something David wouldn't do, and by his past actions, we know he didn't do. And he doesn't understand why this Amalekite would do that. So David orders the man to be executed. So they have a, he calls this one young man and says, go near and execute him. <laughs> Here's your reward. You get to be executed. Um, and David, after he's dead, David says, your blood is on your own head because your own mouth has testified against you. Again, and David is acting on what he knows, what the man testified himself. The, the, the guy actually killed Saul, he didn't. But as far as David knows, that his testimony was, I killed Saul. And David said, that's enough to condemn you. If you're going around bragging that you're the one who killed Saul, you're, that, you're guilty. And so he kills him. His own testimony condemned him because he said he killed the Lord's anointed. And so David, David says, this is, this is enough for you to be condemned to death. Because you didn't respect that position that God set up. It really says a lot, too. I mean, you know, we think about, and I, I struggle with this because I, I am not in favor of the current president we have it in our country. I think um, he's not a very good president. Sometimes I wonder how much of a president he's doing, how much others are doing through him. But whether or not I like him or not, whether or not I think he's a good president or not, I know that God appoints leaders and that they're there by God allowing them to be there. And there's, there's, to some respect, I need to respect that. And so there, there's a struggle. So I've seen signs out where um, um, there's a sign we go and um, one of the churches gives some bread away, so sometimes we go pick up some bread and... Um, there's a sign at a house along the road that uh, they have a Biden is an idiot in their yard. That may be true. But that's not showing respect to God's anointed leader. And I, just, I don't feel like that's the right thing to put up there, whether you feel that way or not. That's not showing respect towards God's anointed. And I'm not saying that Biden wasn't anointed by the high priest or whatever, whatever but God sets up Authority. God sets up the kings and rulers and authorities, and we need to respect that. And it doesn't mean we can't vote for somebody else. I'm not voting for Biden next election if he even chooses to run, if he doesn't get primaried out, or if he's even alive. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I want to be careful how I, I treat him and how I talk about him. You know, I can say I disagree with his policies, I can say I disagree with the direction he's taking the nation, but 
there's still respect I need to show for that position because he's the ruler of this. He's the ruler of the nation, and God appointed that rulership, and he's under God's authority. And so, um, you know, Saul was Saul a great king? Absolutely not. Saul was a terrible king. He had a couple good years where he was doing the right thing, but then after that, for thirty some years, he really was wrong most of the time. And yet David still holds him in high regard because God appointed him and he was the ruler of the nation. And so it's just, that's kind of my thought there. I, I think we need to be very careful how we talk about our leaders, how we treat our leaders. If, if Joe Biden showed up at church, I would shake his hand. I would address him as Mr. President. Um, I would treat him very respectfully. And I, I, would, I would try to share the gospel with him, yes. Because I think he needs that. Anyway, so going on, that's my soapbox. I'll get off it now. Second uh, Samuel one seventeen, Nathan. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen, and the weapon of war perished. So David's song for Saul and Jonathan. And again, Jesus, me not so much for the song for Jonathan. He obviously loved Jonathan, but just that you look at how he talks about Saul in this. their economic state and stuff like that. Um, Saul and Jonathan were mighty warriors among Israel. They, they, um, the mighty have fallen amidst the battle. Jonathan was saying, where was about Saul and Jonathan, this lament, this, uh, this chant that he writes is, uh, about just his grief for the loss of Saul and Jonathan. Very, very passionate on David's part. And again, uh, I think I'm going I'm to talk about this here in the takeaway, so we'll, we'll do that here.
murderer and a warrior. David did not hold a grudge against Saul or seek personal vengeance or find satisfaction in Saul's demise. David's heart is clearly seen in this passage and is an example to us. You know, we shouldn't if people are brought down under bad circumstances, whether however we feel about them or not, we should be grieving over them. Um, David, David certainly had every reason to hate Saul. David had every reason to want to see Saul brought low, and yet when the time came, David had nothing but grief and sorrow over what happened to Saul. You know, that's, that's why is David a man after God's own heart? I think that's why. You know, God doesn't want to see anyone perish, but wants all to come to repentance. I think David would have liked to see Saul turn back to God and serve God the rest of his life. David would have been happy with that. I think David may have been even willing to give up his kingship if he would have seen Saul do what's right and please God. That's the kind of heart David had. Um, so take away. So David David gives us an example of what kind of heart we should have towards other people. There. Um, second point there. David's actions illustrate the sovereignty of God. David expected God to fulfill His promise to David to make him king in Saul's place, even to the point of condemning the man who claimed to have killed Saul. God is fully capable to carry out His plan in His time and fulfilling His will. David didn't need some Amalekite to speed along God's plan. David was still trusting that God was going to do it in his own time and his own way. And when the Amalekite did it, David was like, why did you raise your hand against the Lord's anointed? But David still would believe that God was going to make him king. So, you know, it wasn't like David was like saying, finally, God, God worked through this Amalekite to make me king. David understood God's sovereignty. He knew God was going to work in his own way and trusted God. And so David understands the sovereignty of God. We need to trust God, and we need to be patiently waiting on God. And God doesn't work in our time frame. God doesn't work on our agenda, on our schedule. You know, we, uh, sometimes we want to see things happen, and they don't happen the way we want it to happen. We just need to trust God and wait on him and trust in his sovereignty. And sometimes that means we go through hard times and difficult times. David, again, went through 20-some years of fleeing from Saul and, and running from Saul trying to murder him and kill him and uh, living in the wilderness, uh, living away from his home and his family. And yet he still trusted that God was going to do the right thing and was patiently waiting on him. Um, this is the third thing. I want to spend a little time on this. This is kind of maybe a little bit different. This is good. A question I guess asked is, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? I think this passage actually demonstrates an excellent illustration of why this occurs and how David responds to the Malachite. So God's plan, which is revealed to both David and Saul, was to take the kingdom away from Saul and give it to David. Do you understand and agree with that, right? That's very apparent through all of 1 Samuel, that God all along says, I'm removing the kingdom from Saul and I'm giving it to David. Um, if God was responsible for bad things happening, then when the Malachite came into camp and announced that he killed Saul, David's response should have been that he was just an agent of God's will and he had no responsibility for his actions. Because if these bad things are all about, well, God causes the bad things or allows the bad things, then this guy is not responsible at all. You know, God's just making his will happen, and he used this guy to kill Saul, and this bad battle and this bad thing happened because that's what God was just going to have happen. So why do bad things happen? Well, because God's just going to make it happen. Well, that's the wrong answer, of course. 
Um, instead, David holds this man accountable for lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed and has, his, has him executed. This is because that David realized that based on what David understands of the truth, remember this guy said he killed Saul, he didn't really do that, but from what David understands here, that the death of Saul was caused by this man's actions. So why did the bad things happen? That, so bad things happen because we are responsible for the actions we take and we make bad decisions and do bad things to other people, not because God causes them to happen. See, the idea of David holding a guy responsible for the bad things happening means that bad things happen because we're the ones that cause it and that we're responsible for it. So people will say, oh, if, there's, if God's good, then why do bad things happen? Bad things happen because we, as people, do bad things. And we're responsible for that. Um, not because God causes them to happen. Even though David, David knows God's plan was being fulfilled, this man was responsible for the evil he had apparently, according to David, committed. He was responsible for his actions and the evil that he caused by killing Saul. And so the bad things happened because of his evil actions. It's not because God made the bad things happen. And so we're responsible. And then if you want to go further, well, God still allowed you to do bad things, and then you can say, well, do you want to be a robot and just be forced to do good things all the time? Do you want to have free choice? Yeah, so because we make bad choices, we make evil choices, we choose to do evil things, that's why the bad things happen, and that's why we're responsible for our actions. That's why David holds this man responsible, because he made the evil choice, and that's why the evil things happen. Assuming that he would have gone, he actually did kill Saul, which he didn't. I mean, it's funny because his evil choice was actually to lie and not actually what he said he did, even though what he said he did was an evil choice. This is a confusing passage because he actually didn't do what he said he did. But if you take it based on his word, him killing Saul would have been an evil action that he would have committed, and he was responsible for that. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, And so... So the bad things happen because of the evil that he committed. And that's why bad things happen in the world, because we as evil people do evil things. And our responsibility in that and the, 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 us being held responsible, and we're held responsible whether our government holds us responsible, whether um, people around us hold us responsible. God's going to hold us responsible for what we've done. And we're going to have to stand before him and give account for our actions. And... If we don't know Christ as Savior, then our sin earns us an um, everlasting judgment away from him. But if we know Christ as Savior, guess what? We still need to stand before him and give account for our actions. We just stand in, in a place where God chooses to reward us or not. Uh, but we still need to stand before him. Yes, Gabriel.
Right. And he does he does things like that for our growth. Um, you know, the Bible is very clear on that. When we go to trials and tribulations in our life, that they're to, to produce patience, so patience will have its perfect work in us and that we grow closer to Christ. So that, that's very true. I would agree with that. The second most extreme case? Oh. Any other thoughts? Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, I'm going to ask uh, Lynn, will you close us in prayer? Thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for this fellowship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.